The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Please be seated. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. LSU game was in the afternoon. No excuse for sleepiness here. I know it's homecoming weekend. There's three homecomings, and so there's always some excuse for us to be tired. Isn't that right, Christian? No, never tired. Hey, guys. Welcome home. It's good to see you. Chris, where are you going to school? Baylor. Baylor. All right. I knew you weren't going to uh, Tech or LSU, but I couldn't remember if it was Arkansas. But good to see some college folks home. Makes me sad that my daughter's not here. I'm not going to say that it means anything about her love for me or not. But uh, it's good to see y'all. Uh, it's fall break, so there's no homework, so everybody should be happy if you're in school, school mode. But uh, we are continuing our study. Oh, yeah, good reminder. Third grade and under. You are dismissed to class. That's been done, right? You're gone. Okay, so we're working on the Sermon on the Mount, which is just one of five discourses or sermons that we see in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, And remember what's been going on in this series. The five discourses are times where Jesus sits down with his disciples. He he calls them out of their way of life. They were fishers of men. tax collectors and doing their different careers, if you will. And Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And so they dropped everything. They're following Jesus. That's what a disciple is. We use the term Christian, but the more common term is a disciple. We're followers of Jesus. And so as followers of Jesus, reading his word, we are sitting in our chairs at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teachings for us, just like the disciples were reading about were doing. And one of the things we have said all along is this, this title is called Sent by the Son. Jesus called them, said, follow me. And then at the end of Matthew, he sent them out in the Great Commission. And one of the key phrases in there, he says, now go make disciples, teaching them to obey me. And so there's an active obedience in following Jesus. If we are disciples of Jesus, there is action implied. And so we have been intentionally creating every week an action step. Some weeks we emphasize it more than others, but every week, if you're picking up the little study guide, we write in there an action step. This is to help you actively obey Jesus. And so let's review some of those action steps. I want to interact with you. Does anybody remember the very first action step? There you go. Boom. Somebody got it right. I couldn't give you credit because I don't know who said it. But yeah, a notebook. I want to tell you, this has helped me tremendously. We've said, hey, if we are disciples of Jesus, if we're uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, if Jesus was literally in here today, standing here instead of me speaking to you, I guarantee you all of us would be like, hey, someone get me a notebook. Get me a pen. Jesus is talking. And so we said, listen, when we sit and read our Bibles, Jesus is talking to us. And so we encourage you to get a notebook. It's really been helpful for me to reignite my quiet time. I have a little study guide I use. It's five days a week. It works through the Bible. If you do both, it works through the Bible in a year. If you just do the New Testament, it works through the New Testament year. It's in chronological order. And I write down what I'm reading, little summaries of it uh, each day. And then I turn kind of the main idea of what, what the Bible said that day into a prayer. And that's the way God speaks to us. 
I encourage you to do it. Also, we've been meeting as a staff and elders. We've been meeting with the church, many meetings, hearing uh, opinions about what we should do with our, our next step and our vision, dealing with uh, limitations in our building. I've been writing down, taking notes, because I believe God is speaking through his people. And so I'm listening. You can do the same thing as you're at school or at your work. God shows you something. Write it down in your notebook. Uh, we want you to start thinking in terms of a dynamic, interactive relationship with Jesus, not just, hey, I come in here, I get some nuggets of information. I want you to think about it in terms of a living, breathing relationship that is ongoing seven days a week. You're, you're obeying what God has said to you. We've also done other things like uh, we've encouraged you to engage people that are in your everyday life. Uh, I talked about me engaging someone at the eye doctor when I was getting glasses. Maybe you uh, have someone at the grocery store that you see a lot. And we said, hey, ask them a question. Interact with them. Get beyond just the, the blinders of I got to get my to-do list done and see them as people that God has placed in your life. What does God want you to say to them? What does God want you to do, uh, interact? What does he want to do in your life or in their life by putting y'all in the same relationship? So we said, ask them one thing. Ask them to describe a Christian in three words. And some of us did it, some of us didn't. And then we said, now take that and, and pray for that person and seek a way to enter into a conversation with that person. And so we've done these different action steps. And one, another one we did was memorize Matthew 5.20. Anybody memorize Matthew 5.20? Anyone? There you go. All right. I won't make you do it unless you want to. You want to quote it? Come on, Suzanne. I'll do it with you. All right. But unless your righteousness scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. That is what 5.20 says. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you ain't ever going to heaven. That's the southern version. What is the point? That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus has been doing over and over. Why would we want you to memorize that? Because that is the heart of the gospel. Now, let me explain. That was another action step, is to explain in your own words what that verse means. Well, the religious Seth explained it well today. He came up here and explained it. The religious people of the day, the most super elite religious, religious people were the scribes and Pharisees. And they were banking on their religious activity as a way to declare themselves right with God. That's called self-righteousness, self-justification. And what Jesus is saying is to his disciples, if your righteousness isn't greater than theirs, you're never going to heaven. And that's when we go, well, how can my righteousness be better than the scribes and Pharisees? They were experts at keeping the law, at keeping God's commands. And that's what Jesus has been doing over and over and saying, listen, the only way your righteousness can be right enough for, for, for pleasing God is if you receive Jesus' righteousness. And that's a gift, a gift of God's grace given to you by faith in Jesus. And so can you explain that to someone do you understand that yourself, that, that the most religious person isn't righteous enough, that you need the righteousness of Jesus as a gift? It's given by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. We want to equip you to do... This is an equipping center. We're equipping you to go live as disciples, to make disciples. And so we want to know, can you share that with someone? Can you 
clearly articulate that? Do you understand that? Do you know it first of all for yourself and then can you share that with the person at the grocery store, at the eye doctor or at your school or in your classroom or your roommate? Can you share that so that they can be wrestling with that themselves? So our action step for this week. Write this down if you will in your handy dandy Blue's Clues notebook. Anybody knows Blue's Clues? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah? Okay, well that was my kids watching it. But I remember it because I had to watch Blue's Clues all the time with them. So in your notebook, write down the word uh, identify. There's three I's that we want you to think about. Identify, invest, and invite. Today we're talking about identify. God, identify for me people in my life that you want me to Pray for, invest in, invite them to coffee, to a Bible study, to church, invite them into a relationship with me, or maybe it's invite them in a relationship with Jesus, whatever it is. But the first step is identifying the people that are already in your life. So many times we think about making disciples and, and sharing the gospel. We think we're supposed to just kind of, here's our normal life, and then we got to do this weird appendage thing out here. we got to go do something out of the ordinary. Well, God is saying, listen, I've put people in your life. You just need to identify them. You need to see them. Where do you shop? Where do you work? Where do you, where do you work out? Where's your hobby? Who do you do your hobbies with? Who's on your soccer team? Soccer parents, as you're standing by them and you're screaming at your kids, are you thinking that maybe God has put them in your life for a reason? So identify whom God has placed in your life and he wants you to start investing in. This week, Pray, think about it, let God put someone's name on your heart and begin to pray that God would give you a clear path of getting into an investing relationship with them. So that's your action point for this week. So we are here to make disciples. And Jesus continues teaching and today we look at Matthew chapter 5 and we only have a few verses again. And so it's verses 33 through 37. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's continuing along the same theme with the same formula he's been doing week in and week out. Earlier, someone told me, they, when it, every time we start the service, it looks really like there's like three people here. And he was like, you know, where, you know what's going on? I was like, yeah. He said, you've been talking about some hard stuff. He's like, you've been talking about lust. You've been talking about divorce. And they all gone. And I was like, thank you very much for your encouragement. But uh, you came. You just always get here casually late, which is all right with me. All right, so 33 says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, at this point, that sounds pretty good. It sounds like that's what God says in his word. But then Jesus says in verse 34, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil. Father, help us this morning learn from your teachings that we may be truly faithful disciples. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so remember what Jesus has been doing. We've got to keep the context in mind. Jesus spoke this sermon in, a, in, a, in a one setting. and we, we, We're studying it in little pieces week in and week out, so it's important to remember what he's been doing. Jesus has come into this religious, righteous, self-righteous group of people, these religious Pharisees and scribes, and they've been teaching their understanding of God's word. 
And their understanding is, hey, Jesus said, or God said, don't murder. And they said, okay, you're righteous as long as you don't kill someone with, a, with an ax. If you don't kill someone, then you're righteous. That's when Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you. So Jesus corrects their teaching. He says, but I say to you, if you're angry, you've, you, you've committed murder in your heart. Anger is tantamount to murder. And so what is Jesus doing there? He is saying, look, look, just your behavior being changed, your behavior where you're not killing someone is not all that God wants. God wants you to change your heart. God wants to give you a new heart. You must be born again by the Spirit so that your anger in your heart is dealt with because anger leads to murder. So just because you don't kill someone, you can't go around living with anger, resentment, and bitterness and slander in your heart. God says, that's not my will. My will is that you love one another. Love fulfills that law. And then the next week, we looked at the one with adultery. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Well, they did two things there to get around that one. They're like, okay, as long as I don't commit physical adultery, it's okay if my heart is filled with lust. Jesus says, no. Or they said, as long as I give my spouse a certificate of divorce, that makes it okay for me to go with that woman that I'm lusting with. And Jesus says, no, that's not my ideal. That's not my will for your life. My will is that you fight for your marriage, that you're faithful and pure. And that happens only when your heart has been changed by the Spirit of God. When you have a pure heart, then you will, not, you will fulfill this law. And so that's what Jesus has been doing time after time, is taking this external behavior and saying, I want your heart to be changed. So today we get to this one, and it looks a little different, and it actually is a little bit confusing. So what is he doing today? He said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now that sounds right, doesn't it? You shall not swear falsely, and you should do what you swear. But then Jesus says, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all. How many of you were taught as kids, don't say, I swear to God? Anyone? Right? And we've taught our kids that. If you've been taught that, you've been taught that. So is that right? Well, let's see. Let's see what's going on here. Jesus says, do not take an oath at all or do not swear at all. And he's counteracting the teaching of don't swear falsely, but keep your, if you do, uh, but perform what you have sworn. So let's look at what the Bible says. Look at Deuteronomy 10 verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. Wait, do what? So Deuteronomy says, by God's name you shall swear. Then why did mama tell me not to swear to God? Why did Jesus say don't swear at all? So this is what we got to figure out. What is going on In our text, Deuteronomy says that you should swear by the name of God. Romans 1, 9, the New Testament, Paul swears to God several times. Romans 1, 9, for God is my witness. This is him saying, God is my witness. You've heard people do this. Hey, God is my witness. He says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. He does it again in 2 Corinthians 1, 23. He calls God. He says, but I call God to witness against me. 
if it was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. So Paul is basically saying, I swear to God I've been praying for you. I swear to God that's why I didn't come to see you. So there's, there's, it's a little bit confusing to know what Jesus is saying here. Why does Jesus say don't swear when the Old Testament said to swear and when Paul's example, he swears to God. He does it again in 1 Thessalonians 2.5 and verse 10. He does it again in Philippians 1.8. So what is Jesus saying? Some people have taken Jesus to mean that you cannot go to the court of law, you cannot put your hand on a Bible, and you cannot say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, because Jesus said, don't swear. Is that, is that what Jesus is saying? No, the answer is no, that's not what Jesus is saying. So what is Jesus saying? What is going on here? The Old Testament has a lot to say about swearing. Let's keep reading different Old Testament texts, and I think the picture becomes clear. Bear with me. I want to flesh out what the Bible says, then flesh out what the scribes and Pharisees were doing, and then what Jesus says makes perfect sense. So let's look more at what the Old Testament says. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? It means for it to, to be used with no reverence, to be used with no weightiness, to, to use it just flippantly like any other word. And so we know it's helpful to understand the Lord says don't take the Lord's name lightly. Don't just flip it out there if you're not being seriously referring to the Lord. So so one aspect of not swearing to God is don't just be that person that goes around saying, I swear to God. He says, if you swear to God, don't do it flippantly. Make sure that you are using my name with the reverence it deserves. In uh, Levi Levitation, <laughs> Leviticus, not Levitations, in Leviticus, <laughs> sorry, I was up late night watching my uh, kids get home from homecoming. Uh, Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh, the Lord. So here he's saying, listen, don't use my name lightly. And if you do use my name, if you do swear by my name, you better keep it. Don't swear by my name falsely. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Again, if you swear by the Lord's name, if you do what Paul was doing, you better be sure you do what you say. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what passes or what passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So, so clearly God is saying, listen, don't, don't throw me around flippantly. If you are brave enough... To use my name as a pledge, as an oath, to swear by my name, you better keep it. Because God is keeping an account. And he says, don't 
break a covenant in my name. It's sin when you do that. And so that's where we get this idea of don't say I swear to God. Who among us knows for certain that we're going to be able to keep that oath? If you don't know with absolute certainty, then stop swearing by God. From these verses, it becomes clear. God does not want his people to swear falsely. He makes that clear. So why does Jesus say again, I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now let's think about this. If your kids are running around saying, I swear to God, I don't even like saying it. I've so been trained all my life not to say it. But if they're running around saying, I swear to God this and I'm that, and you're like, what would they be doing? What would cause you to say, stop swearing? What? Okay, so part of it is they're, they're not taking God's name seriously. They're just slinging it out there. That's absolutely right. What else? If they do something and you're like, you just swore you weren't going to do that. But what, what would it happen that you would say, don't swear anymore? If they did what? Yeah, if they broke their word. If they just swore something and then they, they lied or they broke their word, you would say, stop swearing. Just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And so we see that in the following verses. We can tell what's going on in the scene. Look at verse 34. You can tell the Pharisees and the scribes were not telling the truth and they were abusing this this teaching. In verse 34, he says, but I say to you, Jesus says, don't take an oath at all. Stop swearing. Either by heaven So apparently they were saying, I swear by heaven. Jesus says, stop swearing by heaven, for it's the throne of God. Or they were saying, I swear by earth. Jesus says, stop swearing by the earth, for it's the footstool of God. Some were saying, I swear by Jerusalem. He says, stop swearing by Jerusalem. It's the city of God, the city of the great king. I don't get this one, but some people apparently were saying, I swear by my head. And Jesus says, your head's going bald. Stop swearing by your head. God determines if you have hair or not or if your hair is white or black. And he just says, look, just let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The devil's called the father of lies. So from these verses, we can tell once again... The scribes and Pharisees are abusing the word of God. They're abusing the law. How so? They're saying, okay, I'm not so sure I'm going to tell the truth here, but I want them to believe me because they know I may or may not be telling the truth here, so I'm going to swear by heaven. I'm not going to swear by God because the law says that if you swear by God and you swear falsely, that's bad news. So... I got a way out here. I'm going to swear by God's heaven because I didn't swear by God. I swear by heaven. And now I don't have to keep my word. Now I can make this oath. I can make everything look official and I'm not really going to keep it or I'm not really going to be accountable if I don't keep it. So I'm just going to swear by heaven. Are you following the logic here? Or apparently they're swearing by heaven, swearing by Jerusalem, swearing by earth. And, and Jesus says, look, When you swear by any of those things, you're swearing before God. 
He's saying when you swear by heaven, that's God's heaven. When you swear by earth, the earth is God's footstool. When you swear by your head, God is over your head. When you swear by Jerusalem, that's God's holy city. You're not getting out of accountability. So quit lying with these oaths and thinking you're okay because you didn't swear by God. Stop doing that and just let your yes be yes and your no be no. I can relate to this exactly because growing up, I had two brothers. And just about every day, all day, everything we said to each other was either a prank or a lie. We never, ever could trust each other. And we lied so much, there was constantly jokes, constantly tricks, constantly, like, we just couldn't trust each other. And so, in fact, one time, I've told this many times, and so I tell it with permission on myself. I had this little crush on this girl named Mary Kay. I think this was like elementary school, middle school. And my brothers knew it. So one day I came home from school, and my brothers were like, Tracy, guess what? And I'm like, what? They're like, Mary Kay called you, and she wants you to call her back. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah. I'm like, figures. So I pick up the phone. I'm going to call Mary Kay. That's that, I had that kind of phone. You know, down, down her number. And I call her mother answers. Hello. I was like, hey, this is Tracy Graham. Is Mary Kay in? Yeah, Tracy, just a minute. Let me go get her. And I'm like, and they're all like, yeah. And I was like, hey, Mary, this is Tracy. And right then they'll go, just kidding. I'm like, I'm like, never mind, Mary. I got to go back. Everything out of our mouths was a lie. And so we could not, it didn't matter if you said, I promise, we didn't swear because mom said don't swear, but we would come up with, you promise? I promise. You're lying. No, I promise. And we got to the point where we really didn't have any way of of validating our word because we were such liars. And so we invented one. We came up with, okay, listen, if I say trust me, you can trust me. I was like, all right. So we made a deal. And that was the only way that I knew. You promise? You promise? Yeah, but do you tr- say, I trust me? Say it again, but say, I trust me. I mean, that's how pathetic it was. That's exactly what's going on here. They're lying. They're not keeping their word. And they're getting around it by just saying, I didn't say swear to God. So they didn't have to keep the word. And Jesus says, that's not what I want my people to be like. I want my people, when they say something, it's true. I want my disciples I want your yes to mean yes, and I want your no to mean no. Because anything else comes from the father of lies. So let me ask you something. Do you feel the need when you say something to someone? Do they give you that look and you have to say, I swear. I promise. If you do, that, that's the sign that you're not known as an honest person of integrity. And we need to repent of that. And we need to be a person that, that when, let me ask you this. When you go and you tell someone, let's say you've been praying, Lord, help me identify who you want me to, to talk to in my life. And then you go to that person and you say, the truth of the gospel is this. Are they thinking, really, you're going to tell me the truth of the gospel Are you going to feel like you need to say, no, I I swear this is true? Or are you a person of your word? Are you a person of integrity that just 
They know you, that people know you. When that person says, their handshake's good. When this person says something, you can take it to the bank. So that when you walk them and say, hey, can I, would you allow me to share with you the truth of the gospel? They would say, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say because I know you to be an honest and true person. Jesus is saying, my disciples are salt and light in this culture. We live in a culture that truth means nothing. I mean, that, that, what's the big news of the day? It's called fake news. It's like, what are you talking about? If it's fake news, it's not news. Or political speech, you can say anything you want in political speech, and it doesn't matter. You don't have to tell the truth anymore. It's like, oh, I didn't, well, I changed positions. Really? Can anybody's word be counted on anymore? What an incredibly powerful opportunity for us to be salt and light, where we become people. When we say something, they know it's true. This means it has implications in, all, in our life in many ways. First of all, I would say it means we shouldn't swear. We shouldn't go around swearing, swearing in God's name. James 5.12, James repeats exactly what Jesus says. James says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. We shouldn't feel the need to, to have to back up our words with swearing. It doesn't mean you can't go to court of law. If you go to court, you can put your hand on the Bible and you can say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, the other truth, the whole, so help me God. That's fine. But then tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I also think this is not swearing keeps us from getting the habit of, of, of making light of God's name. I mean, we don't want to go around taking God's name in vain and just lightly treating it with disrespect. But this also means as disciples that we should people be people who absolutely keep our commitments. If you say you're going to do something, then do it. Be careful before you make a commitment because if you make a commitment, you're making a commitment before Almighty God. And he's saying, I expect you to keep your commitment. Bosses at work. If you tell your employees you're going to give them a raise, give them a raise. Dads, if you tell your son you're taking him fishing, take the boy fishing. If you tell your spouse you're going to go on a date this weekend, go on the date. In the community, if you say you're going to do something, do what you say. This means that God's people, the disciples of Jesus, should be the most Faithful people that they keep their commitments. We should be shining the light in darkness. We should be preserving the moral preservation. We should keep society from degrading down into just truth is relative. Truth doesn't matter. That's not going to be true with us. Not only does it mean we keep our commitments, but it also means that we are men and women of integrity. We have nothing to do with shady deals. I don't care how much pressure you have at work to produce or to perform or to reach that goal. Jesus says, my disciples do not do shady deals. We don't tell half-truths. We don't manipulate to get what we want. We don't work the angles. We don't operate as if it's okay as long as we don't get caught. 
We live with honesty and integrity before the eyes of a holy, perfect God. Jesus says, that's what I want from my people. So how do we do this? Well, let's think about what's going on in our heart. Because again, got to keep the context here. Jesus is not creating, it's not like the scribes and Pharisees, listen carefully, it's not like the scribes and Pharisees created this really hard ladder to climb to Jesus, and Jesus says, no, I want to make it even harder. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, it's impossible. And so you need to turn and put your faith in Christ, and he gives you a new heart And he begins to change your heart. And once he's changing your heart, you start to tell the truth. You start to be a person of integrity. You start to keep your commitments. But what's going on in the heart? Well, let's think about what happens when we lie. What's an example of why would you lie? Someone tell me. What would be one example of why not you but your friend would lie? Okay, scared of the consequences. So what does that say about what's going on in our heart? If I'm afraid of the consequences, uh, I won't make my bonus. What does that say about my heart? Who or what am I worshiping? Okay, let's go with money. So I am treasuring money over Christ. Or maybe it's trust. Maybe I don't trust that God is going to provide, so I think I have to do whatever it takes to get that bonus. And so what Jesus is saying is, I want my people will have a different heart. And so the battle is not just outward. The battle is an inward battle. By the Spirit, we learn to cultivate with our notebooks in hand, with our Bibles open, fostering that relationship with Jesus so that he is so real and so powerful and so valuable in our lives that we know he's trustworthy, we know he's faithful, that when that opportunity comes... To, to deceive or to, to lie in order to get that bonus, I say, no, that's, that's not faithful. So whether it's, or maybe we lie because, or maybe we manipulate or something at different stages in life because we want the approval of others. We cherish others' approval of us more than we cherish Christ's approval of us, and so it causes us to compromise and lie or do something to make people like us. There's myriad of examples, but the point is this. This is a heart issue first. Deal with the heart, and as the Lord gives you changes in your heart, it will change the external behavior. And as he does that, we become the people of God that are salt and light, that bring glory to him, and that validates our testimony when we come to someone and we say, hey, this is the truth about our eternal destiny. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that we will be known as a people of honesty and integrity. I pray, Lord, that you will create within us hearts that worship you and treasure you, Lord, so much that we will not be willing to compromise for any other false god. Lord, I pray that when we make a commitment, people will know that we will keep it. I pray that when we make dealings and do business with people, that they know we're honest and we're not going to shade the truth. We're not going to manipulate. 
Lord, I know there are people here today who need that heart transformation. Lord, would you open eyes this morning, even now, as we sing, Lord, would you open eyes to see, to show us our self-righteous tendencies, and that instead that we would, we would see we can't be righteous enough on our own, and that we would turn only to Jesus Christ to receive the righteousness of Christ as a gift by faith that we would have new hearts filled with the Spirit of God, that we are so filled with awe that you would save us despite our unrighteousness, that you would forgive us, that we'd be so filled with awe that you would be our first love. We would worship and treasure you supremely, and that would motivate us to live honest, truthful, faithful lives for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.